Good morning. Uh, as most of you probably know, this week Thelma Grimm went to be with her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's actually a great thing for her because while she was here on this earth, she suffered physically. And that was true of her husband, Harold, as well. And uh, it, those of you who remember Harold, I, I think Harold and Thelma are probably two of the most whole people that I've ever known in my life. You might be saying, well, Pat, what do you mean by being whole? Well, this morning, that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about what the Bible teaches us about what it means to be whole. And I also want to talk about how all of us can experience that same kind of wholeness that Thelma and Harold experienced in their lives. So we're going to do that as we continue through this current sermon series, which is called Seven Signs. And in this series, we've been looking at these seven different signs that Jesus did that are recorded for us in John's gospel account. And John himself tells us Jesus did a whole lot of signs other than just these seven. But we've been looking at the seven because each one of them tell us something. They reveal something important about the identity, about the message, and about the mission of Jesus Christ. The third sign that we're going to look at this morning, it's a little bit different than the first two signs in some significant ways we're going to see. First of all, you remember that the first two signs, somebody came to Jesus, someone else initiated the sign. In the case of the first sign of turning water into wine, remember his mother Mary comes to him at the wedding and says, hey Jesus, they've run out of wine. And so she initiates the whole sign. The second sign, the one we saw last week with the healing of the official son, we see that the official comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I, I need you to heal my son. So, so it's initiated by someone else. When we look at the third sign this morning, we're going to see that Jesus initiates that sign on his own, completely apart from anyone else asking him to do anything about that. And that tells us actually some important things about how Jesus works in our life as well. The other thing that, that we're going to see here is the first two signs, there was a a comment in John's gospel that said that somebody believed in Jesus because of the sign. Again, in the in case of the first sign, it was the disciples, probably only four of them at that time, but it says that because of what Jesus did there with the first sign that the disciples believed in Jesus. And then the second sign we saw last week is that this, this official and his entire family, they came to believe in Jesus Christ. Now this morning, we're going to see no such wording at all in the account of this third sign I'll admit and we'll talk about this a little later that the the man who who is healed here that that he has a degree of faith in Jesus but certainly not to the extent that we saw with the the first two signs and so we're going to see the difference there the other thing that's really significant about this sign this morning is that when we get to John chapter 5 which is where you can be turning in your Bibles right now when we get to John chapter 5 it marks a turning point in Jesus' ministry. We're going to see this morning that Jesus intentionally provokes a confrontation with the Jewish leaders. And as a result of that, from this point forward, those same Jewish leaders, they're going to be looking for a way to arrest and to kill Jesus. And so it, it marks an important turning point in the ministry of Jesus. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open up this morning to uh, John chapter 5. We're going to read the first part of the chapter this morning. It begins like this. And after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, we don't know which feast is, it's talking about here, but we know that all Jewish men who were able-bodied, 
that they were required to go to Jerusalem three times a year to celebrate three of the festivals. So it was one of those. And it seems like it's a fairly short trip here for Jesus because by the time we get back to John chapter 6, we see him back in Galilee again. So he goes to Jerusalem for the feast, and here's what happens, beginning in verse 2. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which is five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool. When the water is stirred up and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is a Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who's the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn. And, and there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. Before we kind of dig into the passage this morning, I need to kind of briefly mention that there's a textual issue here. And like most of the, really all the textual issues that we find in the, in the scriptures, this one has no impact whatsoever on the meaning of this sign. It has no impact on doctrine. But I do want to point it out because some of you have probably already seen it. If not, you'll run across it at some point. You'll notice if you're using the ESV or if you're using the, probably the NIV or some other more modern translations that there is no verse 4 in your passage there. And there's a reason for that. You'll probably also see there's a little footnote there, again, in font that's like, I don't know, about that big, so you can't read it, that says that, in, that some manuscripts have some additional language that went in there. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. If you want to talk about this later, I'd love to have a discussion with you. But basically, here's what happened. There are some manuscripts that include that. But if you go back to the earlier manuscripts, which should have been closer to the originals, that language is not in there at all. And it's really easy to understand, in this case, why someone who is copying the Scriptures would have added that in, because it helps to explain what the man says in verse 7. But other than that, it it really doesn't make any difference. But I wanted to point it out, just because you might run across it at some point, and I want you to be able to, to understand why that's the case. So with that in mind, let's begin here with the main idea this morning and see if we can't use this passage to help develop it. And here's the main idea that I want you to take away, that this third sign shows that Jesus is the Son of God who speaks and acts for God in order to make people whole. That's what's going on here. Jesus is showing that He's the Son of God. He's going to do some things here that only the Son of God could do. And he, he basically said it right there in the last verse I read in verse 17. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking, I'm acting on behalf of my Father. 
And he's doing that to make people whole. And as I said earlier, I'm going to explain to you what that means and how you too can experience that wholeness in your life this morning. So it begins here by telling us that, that uh, this all takes place at the pool of Bethesda. And the pool of Bethesda is right outside of the Sheep Gate. And you can see on this map here that the Sheep Gate was at the northern end of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is surrounded by a wall. And on the northern end, pretty close to the temple, is the Sheep Gate. And that gate was the gate that was used to bring in the sheep that were going to be sacrificed in the temple. And just outside that gate was this pool of Bethesda. And around the pool of Bethesda, you had all kinds of sick people who hung around there. And the reason was because there was this legend. And the legend said that occasionally an angel would come and stir up the waters. And when that happened, that the first person who could reach those waters would be healed. Now, it's only a legend. There's no evidence that that actually ever happened. But you can imagine what this, this scene must have been like there, right? You have people there that are all kinds of sickness, and they're hanging around there. And every once in a while, the waters probably get, did get stirred up because there was a spring underneath the waters. And, and occasionally, the waters would get stirred, and everyone would rush down and try to be the first one to get in that pool so they could be healed. Now, Bethesda means house of mercy. But really... This wasn't a house of mercy at all. If anything, it was a house of merit, because think about this. When the waters got stirred up, let's say they could heal, which they couldn't, but let's say they could, who was going to get healed? The people who were the strongest and the fastest there, right? The neediest person would never get healed, even if those waters could heal. And I think that's a pretty good picture of what our lives look like spiritually. There are a lot of people going around that, that are trying to get healed spiritually. But they're trying to do it in their own way. They're relying maybe on, on superstitions. They're relying on religious rituals to be able to be healed spiritually. And just like this water here couldn't heal, those ways will never heal us spiritually. And so Jesus walks by the pool. He'd probably gone by there a lot of times. It would have been really common for people to walk in and out that gate. And he sees this man here that, that's laying by the pool. And, and, and he tells him, it tells us here in the scripture, this guy's been sick for 38 years. Based on the context, he probably is lame. He can't walk. Maybe he's a paraplegic. And every day for 38 years, he had been coming to that pool and hoping he could be the first one down into the waters and be healed. And Jesus asks him a question. And like a lot of the questions that Jesus asks, it kind of catches us off guard to a certain extent. Remember, when Jesus asks a question, he's never asking it because he needs information. He already knows everything about this guy. So he doesn't need this, this man to tell him to answer the question. Jesus already knows. But when Jesus asks a question, he almost always does it for the benefit of the other person so that that person will think about something in their life, so they'll consider something in their life, so they'll ponder it and meditate on it. And that's exactly what's going on here. So here's the question that Jesus asks. He says, do you want to be healed? Now, I don't know about you, but my first reaction would be, if I've been there for 38 years, yeah, I want to be healed, right? Why would Jesus ask that? 
And because this question, it, it, it's without a doubt the key to understanding this entire sign and in, in, in to understand what it means to be made whole. And I'm going to spend a few minutes here on this question so that we can understand what it is that Jesus is asking. Now, in Greek, this question consists of only three words. The first word is translated, do you want? It's the Greek word thalo. And want is probably not even a strong enough word here. The word means really, are you willing? Are you committed? Are you committed to take the steps that are necessary for you to be healed? So he's asking more than do you just want to be healed? Because of course the guy would say, I want to be healed. But he's asking, are you willing to actually do whatever is required in order for that to happen? So that's stronger than do you just want or do you wish? The second thing is to be, is the verb ginome. And that word means to become or to come into being. It's more than just to be. You might even look at that and, and, and begin to see that that's related to the word genesis, which is a, a beginning or a, a birth. So it means to become or to come into being here. So it's more than just do you want to be. What he's saying is, are you willing to become a new person? Are you willing to, like, turn over your life and let me change it? So it's more than just to be. It's, it's stronger than that again. And then finally, the last word here is healed. It's the word hygiene. As you can see, probably we get our word hygiene from that. But it was more than just physical health. It was, it was a word that meant to be sound or to be whole. And that's the word way I'm going to use it this morning. It means to be healthy physically and emotionally and spiritually it's it's really related to the Jewish word or the Hebrew word shalom that we've talked about before which is a more than just peace it's a sense of wholeness and so what really what Jesus is asking this man here he's asking him are you willing are you committed enough to take the action in your life to become the kind of person that I can make whole that's a lot more than, than just asking, do you want to be healed? So not surprisingly, this guy doesn't even answer Jesus' question here, does he? What does he do? He starts to make some excuses. Well, sir, every time the water stirs, I don't have anyone to take me down there. So, so how, am I, how are you going to heal me? You can't carry me down there. That's really what he's saying to him. And I think what he's doing there is he's showing us that that sometimes we don't really want to be healed. I'm not sure that sometimes that, that we aren't a lot like this guy here because guess what happens? If he's healed, that comes with it a whole new set of responsibilities for his life, right? If he gets healed and he can walk, guess what he has to do now? He has to go get a job. He has to quit hanging around that pool and begging for pe you know, from people. And the same thing is true for us. When we come to Jesus Christ, if we want to be made whole, there are a whole new set of responsibilities that come along with that. It means that we not only make Jesus our Savior, but we also make Him our Lord as well. And that means that we give control of our life over Him, that we're willing to be obedient to Him. And frankly, in our world, there aren't a whole lot of people who are willing to make that kind of commitment to be made whole. So it's not, not really all that 
that surprising. So this guy gets healed, and he picks up his mat, and, and he walks away. And the Jewish leaders see him. Now, the Jewish leaders had probably seen this guy time after time. They were walking in and out of that gate all the time. He'd been for, there for 38 years, so my guess is they'd seen him there before. And you would think they'd see this guy that's now walking around, and they would be rejoicing that, that the miracle has occurred and he's been healed. But what do they do instead? They say, hey, what are you doing carrying your bed around? That's against, that's against our rules. Are you kidding me? But you have to understand these, these Jewish religious leaders. See, what they had done is there was an Old Testament law, one of the commandments that says honor the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Don't do any work one day a week. We've talked about that before. But what these religious leaders had done is they had taken it and they'd, they'd created over 600 man-made laws that define what it means to work. And guess what's included in one of their 600 laws? You can't pick up your bed and carry it on the Sabbath. And so they're more worried that this guy is carrying his bed on the Sabbath. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus did this intentionally on the Sabbath to provoke their response. I mean, think about it. This guy's been sick for 38 years, right? What difference does it make if Jesus waits one more day to heal the guy? And not only that, he could have even healed him on the Sabbath and told the guy, come back and pick up your bed tomorrow when it's not the Sabbath. But he doesn't do that. He's doing it to provoke these Jewish religious leaders. And I think he's doing that on intention for this reason. He wants to demonstrate that religion and religious traditions and the law were all incapable of making anyone whole. See, they couldn't do that. And the same thing is still true today. You know, there are still people today that are hanging on to religion and to religious traditions and to the law and think that that's what's going to make them whole. And Jesus is trying to show them here, no, that's just not in not capable of making them whole. And so this man, they ask him, who, you know, why are you doing this? He said, well, the guy that healed me, he told me to get up and take it. And they ask him, well, well who healed you? And the guy goes, I don't know. I don't, now, I don't know about you guys, but if somebody healed me, I think I'd find out who the guy was, right? But for some reason, he is so self-centered that he doesn't even know who's healed him. And so he walks away, and the next time we see him, he's in the temple. And I guess that tells us that he's probably a, a pretty religious guy, at least to some extent. And Jesus finds him there. And Jesus says to the guy, he says, don't sin anymore or something worse is going to happen to you. I'm like, what? So what was his sin? We don't really know for sure. I think it's possible maybe he had become lame because of some sin in his life 38 years earlier but I I don't think based on the context that's what happened it's possible there are examples in the scripture of people who get sick and who get ill because of some sin but not not always I believe that his sin was the way that he handled his problem in order in other words he didn't take that problem to God instead he tried to fix it on his own 
And isn't that exactly what we try to do so often in our lives? We try to deal with sin. We try to deal in our relationship, our separation with God based on our own. We think that there's something that we can do to earn or to merit that. And so we go to church and we, we serve in the church and we get baptized and we take communion and we give to the church thinking that somehow that's going to help, help us become whole. And what Jesus is saying here is, no, those are all great things to do, but you don't do them to be made whole. You do them because Jesus has already made you whole and you do that out of gratitude for him. So the guy finally goes back and, and tells the Jewish officials, oh yeah, it was this guy Jesus that healed me. And I said earlier that this guy had some degree of faith, I think, some degree of belief, because when Jesus told him to, to stand up and pick up his bed and, and walk, he does that. But I can't believe that it's really saving faith. I mean, you don't go rat out Jesus if you think he can make you whole, do you? And so, as I say, there's, there's something different about this sign than the other ones that we've looked at so far. So we've seen this morning that this third sign shows that Jesus is the Son of God who speaks and acts for God in order to make people whole. And he does three things in particular here that demonstrate that he is, in fact, God that he has sovereign power over some things that only God could have sovereign power over. The first one is time. There's a reason that Jesus picks out a guy that's been sick for 38 years. I mean, at the end of 38 years, you probably figure there's just no hope anymore, right? And maybe you're dealing with something in your life, maybe not physical, maybe it's emotional, maybe it's spiritual, and you figure, well, just too much time has gone on, and and God can't help me with that any longer. And Jesus said, no, 38 years, that's, that's, so, that's such a little amount of time in eternity that that's no problem at all for me to heal somebody that's been sick 38 years. Do it for someone who's been sick twice as long, no big deal. And so Jesus, he overcomes that. Maybe there's something in your life you think it's been hanging on so long that there's no way that Jesus can take care of it. And I would want to encourage you this morning. There's nothing that's beyond his reach when it comes to time. There's a second thing that Jesus overcomes here. He shows his sovereign power over religion. Now, I've used the word religion several times this morning. There's, there's actually a new song that we're, gonna, that we're working on right now that talks about, you know, overcoming our religion and here's here's the way that we're using religion in that sense here's the way that the the dictionary defines religion as an institutionalized system of religious attitudes beliefs and practices or another way to to maybe define that would be to say that it's a man-made system of trying to get to god that's really what religion is religion is a human-made thing and jesus overcomes that here by instigating this conflict with the religious authorities to show that their laws and their rules don't make anyone right with God. And Jesus overcame all of that with his death on the cross. He makes it possible for us to have a relationship with God, and religion can never do that. 
The third thing that he shows his sovereign power over here is power over sin. When he tells the guy, go and sin no more, you know what? Only God can do that. And, and to all the people out there that, that, that say that Jesus never claimed to be God, yes, he did. You see it right here in this chapter. But any time that someone says, go and sin no more, they're claiming to be God, I guarantee you. And those religious leaders understood that. That's why they're trying to arrest him and to kill him. Only Jesus has the power to take away the shame and the guilt of our sin. And he did that on the cross for all of us. If we'll put our faith in him and believe in him. So let me ask you the same question this morning. That Jesus asked this man before he healed him. Are you willing to become whole? Are you willing to become whole this morning? And I know the, the tendency out there is probably to say, oh yeah, I, I want to be made whole. But before you answer yes, let me give you a, a few words of warning because there's some things that you have to do in order for Jesus to make you whole. Now the miracle here. I think, is much more than just healing the man. The miracle is that God, in the flesh, Jesus Christ, that he would reach out to this man who never asked to be healed, and that he would heal him. And that's what God is still in the business of doing. He is still reaching down. He's reaching into your life. And even if you're not pursuing him, he is reaching out, and he wants to pour his grace and mercy into your life. But in order to receive that, there are some things that you, have to be do, that you have to do in order to be made whole. First thing that you have to do is decide if you're willing to be changed. Notice I didn't say decide if you want to be changed. It's got to be stronger than that. Are you willing to do whatever it takes to let Jesus change you and make you whole? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to not just have Him be your Savior? Are you willing to make Him the Lord of your life? Are you willing to give Him control of your life? Are you willing to be obedient to what He tells you in His Word? Because that's what God is going to use to change you. So the first thing you have to do is you have to make a decision and say, Yes, I am willing to be changed. Here's the second thing that you need to do is you have to quit making excuses. That's what this guy did. He blamed, he blamed everyone else. As a matter of fact, there's a sense in which you can say he's even blaming God, and he was mad, he was mad at God for not healing him. And there are some of you out there that you've been making excuses for not committing your life to Jesus Christ. You might want to blame it on someone else. You might want to say, well, well, God, man, he, he took away this person that I love from my life. God did this, God did that, and you're making excuses. And I know those things hurt in your life. I, I'm not trying to minimize those, those hurts in your life, but what I'm here to tell you is that, that God is sovereign over those things. And I don't know why they happen sometimes. I just know that God has promised that he loves us and cares for us and that he was willing to die on the cross because he loves us so much. So you have to quit making excuses. And then finally, 
you have to take action. Just like this man did when Jesus said, get up and take up your mat and walk. He did that. And some of you this morning might need to take some action so that Jesus can make you whole in your life. There may be some of you here this morning who have never committed your life to Jesus Christ for the first time. And the action that you need to take today is to go ahead and place your faith and your trust in Jesus and commit your life to Him. You need to admit to Him that you're a sinner and that you're incapable of doing anything about that on your own. And to put your faith and your trust in the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross to make it possible for you to have an intimate, personal relationship with Him and for Him to make you whole. And if you've never done that, we would love to talk to you more about how you can do that in your life. It's not a decision that we want you to take lightly. So we're not going to ask you to raise your hand or or pray a prayer or do something like that. We would love to sit down and discuss that with you and talk about that. So you make sure that you understand the ramifications of making that commitment. And if you'd like to do that, if you're joining us online, there's a connection card. If you're joining on the online platform, if you're on Facebook Live, you can message us and let us know that you would like to do that. If you're here in person, talk to me or to talk to Steve or Ryan. Um, afterwards, there's some connection cards out in the lobby. You can fill those out, place them in uh, one of the boxes, either here in the back or, or over in the lobby. But that's such an important thing that we invite you to do that. The second thing you have to do and this is true of whether you've committed your life to Jesus already or not, is that you have to be willing to repent. And the word repent, it's this fancy uh, theological word. It just means to turn around and go the other direction. And what that means is that maybe if there's some sin in your life that you've been hanging on to, then that sin has become more important to you than Jesus, that, that you need to repent of that. You need to tell Jesus, Jesus, I'm so sorry for that. And I repent, and I'm going to turn my life around so that I don't make that sin a lifestyle. It kind of was true with this guy. I, I don't know what it was, but there was something in his life that was more important than turning it over to Jesus. And whenever that, whatever that might be, you need to, to repent. Because there's no sin in your life that you could have possibly committed that Jesus does not have the power to forgive. I know some of you think, man, what you don't know what I did. No, I don't, but God does, and he still sent his son Jesus to die for you because he loves you that much. And so you need to repent. So once again, we've seen this morning that this third sign shows that Jesus is the Son of God who speaks and acts for God in order to make people whole. I think the very fact that you're here this morning is evidence of the fact that you want God to do that in your life. And He wants nothing more than to do that for you and to make you whole if you'll commit your life to Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for what Jesus does, for the way He makes our lives whole, for the way He gives us health that's just beyond physical health, but health that is emotional health and spiritual health. Wholeness that makes us able to have a personal, intimate relationship with you. Thank you so much for that. Oh, that's such a great gift. And my, my prayer this morning for anyone who's never received it is that they wouldn't leave here today without taking the steps to, to move towards that, without letting us know how we can help them 
to take that step in their life. Father, thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.